Hey there, thanks for subscribing and listening to Sports with Friends. My name is Seth Everett. You know that if you've been listening to the podcast. We have a really fun topic today, and we have a great guest to help us out with it. Uh, the Olympics. They just completed over there in Beijing. I feel like they were just in Beijing. Uh, I, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I've worked a couple of Olympics. I worked Rio, and I worked Pyeongchang. However, the last two, I did not work for Westwood One simply because they downsized their coverage, if they had any at all, simply because of the pandemic. Our guest today is an award-winning sports writer, a best-selling author, and a te- television analyst who launched his own website, Three Wire Sports, which I've been reading over the weekend. And I, he has covered a number of Olympics since 2006. He's also an associate professor of journalism at USC, Alan Abramson is a friend of a friend, a mutual friend introduced <laughs> us, and he is kind enough to give us some time in his very, very busy schedule to hang out with us here on Sports with Friend. Alan, thanks so much for doing this. Welcome. Thanks, Seth, and I'm so sorry you had to go to Rio, buddy. No, it, it, okay, you want to hear the funny story. I, I've told it on the podcast maybe 100 episodes ago. Uh, I turned down Sydney, and I did but it that because- was d- that was dumb of you, dude. Yeah, it was very dumb, very dumb. And it's something I've regretted my whole life. Uh, I was working at the time for the Seattle Mariners and I was nervous. I was a paranoid little punk. And I thought if I left the Mariners for a month, I would, some guy would Wally pit me. Like that's, that's not what I thought. So when I reconnected with Westwood one, uh, they, you know, they brought up Rio and I said, Oh, I'll go to Rio. We'll, we'll write a wrong. I'll, I'll fix it. It won't be Sydney, but I'll go to Rio. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, what we send now, Westwood One was like, we send reporters who are specific to a sport. You'd be a general assignment guy, so you'd anchor. And I said, oh, where does that take place? He's like, 11th uh, Avenue and 58th Street. And I'm like, New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was in a room with no windows, but I got yes. a cool shirt out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so cool. I, by the way, I appreciate your uh, very nice intro. Uh, Sydney was uh, my first Olympic Games, uh, not uh, Torino. So uh, Sydney was awesome uh, back in 2000. And, it was pre-9-11. Uh, the security must have been like nothing. It was nothing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can uh, tell you a little secret, uh, you and all your listeners, that the uh, mag and bag was uh, like basically non-existent. It was... Uh, oh, wow. It was really, you just, I mean, it was up, but basically it was a, uh, it was security theater. It was just really there for show. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, and then everything changed. And, and that, that, that's why I regretted Sydney because I never thought the Olympics would ever be uh, the same a, as it was when Pyeongchang happened. This is how I kind of want to open the, the conversation because, you know, immediately people are listening. They're going to go, Oh, he's going to go to COVID right away. No, I'm not. Um, I want to go to your assessment of, the last three being in Asia. We're also seeing a time where streaming has taken over. Social media has grown exponentially. The ability to show anything on tape delay is pointless. And with all of the technology that we have, the, the, you could talk all you want about the ratings. I saw what you said on Twitter about ratings. It's not even about the ratings. You're not even giving the fan a chance. And it's a shame that NBC, in order to secure the next few Olympics, Paris and Italy and Los Angeles, they had to carry these 
these Asian games because really what they should be is just on streaming services. The, 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 the live, the tape delay broadcast was shown sometimes 14 hours after these events. I remember during uh, the Tokyo game, some of the gymnasts were watching their final on airplanes while they were almost stateside already. It, it seemed like the Asia part of it is not something the American audience is going to tolerate anymore. And I know it's a loaded question, but I'd rather start there than how was COVID? <laughs> well, look, uh, I don't think, I know NBC has had no choice in the matter. The IOC awarded the games the way the IOC awarded the games. Uh, NBC has been the broadcast, uh, the word is partner of the IOC for a great many years now. And this deal that runs through 2032 uh, was signed in 2014. So uh, the um, and NBC had no say in the fact that uh, we, the great we, uh, signed up for an Asian triple. Um, but um, to your first point, uh, uh, NBC just streamed 4 billion with a B minutes from Beijing. So the uh, look, I know this as well as anybody. The, the trick is how you monetize uh, streaming minutes. And I don't think anybody has quite yet unlocked uh, the value in how to stream everything. We're, we're getting there, but it's clear that the real money still is in uh, what people in our business call linear TV. Linear, yeah. and, and, and the fact is that even if uh, the ratings are drawing... Uh, I don't, I'll make these numbers uh, easy. 11 million people or 13 million people or whatever they are, that's still winning the broadcast ratings every night in the United States. And um, uh, the, the Olympics remain the one entity in, uh, in broadcast TV outside of the Super Bowl, which of course is you know a standalone thing uh, and the NFL that, that brings mommy, daddy, Billy and Susie together in front of the TV. Uh, and especially on the nights when gymnastics uh, or figure skating are on. Sure. So, um, but, but does that uh, change when you know who won the gold literally 14 hours later? Yeah, because mommy and Susie in particular want to watch uh, what's on. And, and that's the appeal of the Olympics. And I'm not trying to be sexist or gender oriented here. That, I mean, empirically, that's what the numbers show. Uh, it, the, the Olympics are a family-oriented event, and um, uh, that, that's, that's not just a truism, that's the truth. And, and the question is, as we in the United States pivot from uh, linear TV, that means uh, watching it in front of the TV in the family room, to watching it on all kinds of devices, the one... Uh, in your hand or your iPad or whatever, mm -hmm. how does NBC or whoever succeeds NBC, uh, or if NBC picks up the option again after 2032, how does how does that uh, broadcaster or that entity monetize those streaming minutes? Because that is clearly the way to go. Sure, and and you know I've done last week we had Dan Rosen from the NHL.com on. And we were talking about just trying to sell the ad rates because these regional sports networks, you know, black out the teams in the local markets <laughs> to me. And it's not just hockey. We just happen to have been talking about hockey. Baseball does it. Basketball does it. It's, it's idiotic because if you live in, in Baltimore, you should be able to see the Orioles. It, it's, it's ridiculous. 
Um, well, but I mean, we live in Los Angeles and, and the Dodgers were blacked out for years. So of course, I, I mean, oh, of doing. course. Yeah, uh, exactly. On that, uh, they, they created Sportsnet LA and nobody saw it for three years. Well, so let me let me just before we move on, sure. let, let me just say that NBC and, and um, a disclosure here, uh, I've had a relationship with NBC either on air or online since 2003. Okay. Uh, this games, I had a different sort of relationship with NBC instead of being the columnist for NBCOlympics.com. I was a consultant to NBC. So, okay. but uh, I'm not an NBC employee. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but uh, it, 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 the people at NBC are very smart, and and they've had um, already um, uh, relationships with uh, Snapchat and, um, and and other uh, companies, uh, so that they can TikTok repackage and, right. and TikTok, so that they can repackage uh, the content. Uh, so you know, every time uh, I'll make this up. Let's say uh, Sean White's uh, fourth place uh, run slash fall gets shown uh, on uh, uh, primetime TV. Okay, that's that's item one. Then item two is it's shown on Snapchat. Item three is it's uh, shown on TikTok. Uh, you know, you know, you can slice and dice this run uh, a variety of different ways. Right, but and- let me interrupt you there. Is it shown on Snapchat fourteen hours later, or is it shown on Snapchat when it happens? No, it's shown on Snapchat when it happens because okay. because nobody now on Snapchat talking. is going right. to nobody sure yeah no nobody on Snapchat is going to wait fourteen hours and and I think the people on NBC understand that uh, I mean this is I think this goes back to Tokyo and I think even Pyeongchang I mean the days of waiting uh, for something to happen streaming wise are done it, it, what's happening now is it's being shown live and then it's also being repackaged for prime time everyone knows what what's happened i mean you know you can everyone knows what happened to sean white already of course and if he had won yeah then nbc's begging these guys to win because uh then all of a sudden you know people are going to watch when the incident happened in tokyo with simone biles where she pulls out of the event everybody wanted to know what happened and that we did uh, you know, plenty of episodes on, on it on it then. Um, let's do the COVID conversation this way. Uh, how did Beijing differ from Tokyo? This is the best part of having you on because you can reference all of these. Sure. So it was the same and different. So the same is there was a quarantine and both games sought to impose a quarantine, but the quarantines were very different. So the Japanese had us quarantined for 14 days, and then we were free to roam around the city. Uh, and the testing protocols- One of my favorite in, cities in, in the, on the planet. Yeah, it's an amazing Tokyo city. Amazing. Yes, it's great. So uh, in, in Japan, uh, the testing protocols were, by comparison to China, relatively, this is not the right word, but I'll, I'll use it anyway, relatively lax. We, we were uh, asked to provide uh, saliva tests on something of a rotating basis. It was either daily or really not daily. Every two days, three days, something like that. Uh, your number came up and you were asked to spit into a tube. Um, so, you know, for those of you who have any civil liberties concerns, the Japanese have some amazing DNA and some of the world's most interesting people. Um, uh, China... Uh, the Chinese looked at this and said, no, uh, we are going to be far more rigorous. Uh, and first of all, all of the Chinese uh, whom we encountered 
who were part of the uh, COVID protocols were dressed in hazmat suits. Uh, second of all, we had to test every day. Uh, I, I won't even get into the airport thing uh, unless you want me to. But okay. um, uh, the, every day we had to test, um, and it wasn't a nasal swab, it was the throat swab. And um, third of all, the Chinese system was called a closed loop. It was a bubble, just like the Orlando yeah. bubble for the NBA except that essentially you, you were not, there was no freedom to roam around Beijing. You were allowed to go, uh, you were allowed access to the hotel. And if you wanted to eat at a restaurant in another hotel, no problem. Uh, but um, so, so that was all good. There were plenty of restaurants to eat at, but you, you could go hotel, the main media center, uh, the venues, and that was it. So, for instance, in Beijing in 2008, <clears throat> you know, uh, I was I had free reign of the city. I could go to Tiananmen Square. I could go to the Forbidden City. I could go to the right. Summer Palace. I could go to the Great Wall. All of those places. He, here, no such thing. And in fact, my big joke was there was McDonald's across the street from the hotel uh, where we were staying. So I, I called it the Forbidden McDonald's. I mean, there's just you know, you, there was no access whatsoever to the city. That's fascinating. Um, did did you think at any one point when Tokyo was delayed that it would have been canceled? No, I did not think that the Olympic Games were going to be canceled. And I think, uh, look, I've been very critical of the IOC on any number of occasions. I did uh, notice that. I, so that's why I'm, I'm not trying to lead you with these questions. I'm just I, I had a feeling that was what you were going to say. So, but I do think that the IOC in this context deserves an enormous amount of the IOC first and second of all, the organizing committees, both in Tokyo and in Beijing, <clears throat> deserve an enormous amount of credit for, for putting on these games in the middle of this pandemic. If the pandemic has taught us anything, Seth, it's that we cannot take anything for granted anymore in our world. The Olympic Games is the most complex mega event on planet Earth. Let me say that again. It is the most complex mega event in our world. Mm -hmm. And I don't know of many other countries that could have pulled off these games. The United States probably could have done it. Uh, Rio, uh, Brazil for sure could not have done it. We as a planet are very fortunate that the two countries that were in line to have staged these games in the middle of a global pandemic are Japan and China. And I think in history, uh, in hindsight, we will look back on this and go, uh, the amazing thing is that these games happened at all. This episode of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Blue Chew. Listen, owning your own podcast means you can talk about anything. The feedback I get from this podcast is that it is an intimate conversation. Well, what's more intimate than talking about sex? There are all kinds of reasons guys aren't able to perform. Age, medical conditions, stress. It's not something that you should be stressing out about. It happens. It's okay. And usually, if whatever the reason is can be rectified, you will be just fine. But you don't want it to impact your social life. And if you have the opportunity to have sex, you do not want something to impede your possibilities. 
The chewables from BlueChew.com can help make sure you're able to perform at your best every time you get the opportunity to have sex. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra or Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor office, no awkward conversation. Have you ever had a conversation about sexual dysfunction with a doctor? No waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Sex should be the best part of your day when you get to have it. Don't let whatever happened during your day get in your head and ruin the fun. They're made in the USA, prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And we have a special deal here at Sports with Friends. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code SWF at checkout. Sports with Friends. You just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code SWF to receive your first month free. We thank Blue Chew for being a sponsor of Sports with Friends. When the NHL players uh, decided not to come, what was your reaction? And did you think it was more about COVID or did you think it was more about the, the, the political stuff, the human, you know, the, 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 the lack of human rights, the, the uh, government there, the, the protest, Peng Shui, um, a lot of athletes tweeted about that, but was that the reason or was it, um, I know the NHL didn't want the players to go, but they were going to let the players go if they insisted simply because it doesn't help grow the NHL. If the games are happening at four o'clock in the morning, while you're absolutely right about figure skating and gymnastics, even the best hockey game. If you, <laughs> if you know about the hockey game and it's 14 hours later, no one, no one's watching it. So I, there was no benefit for the NHL. What was your reaction when you heard that the players were not going to go? a great question so let me try and give you a uh, uh apology in advance lengthy answer here okay <laughs> <clears throat> um, well remember when we talked about how long this podcast could be <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> I, I know i know so here's the deal the the nhl did not go to pyeongchang that i totally get because the korean market is not really right worth advancing uh, and no and apologies right now to my friends in korea and the players but, were annoyed and, and but but the Chinese market is for sure worth advancing. Um, you, you know, there are 1.4 or 1.5 billion people in China. And and if you were to believe the IOC's uh, claims uh, from 2015 until now, uh, 300 million people have taken up winter sports in China. Uh, that, that's basically the population of the United States, more or less, give or take. Mm -hmm. I mean, not quite, but almost mm -hmm. so. The NHL had every reason to go to China. The, the point of going to China was not to grow the game in the United States or Canada. That, that's a separate issue. The point was to grow hockey in China. That's a huge market. Um, I mean, 300 million people, that's only 20% of China. And that leaves 1.2 billion people, uh, an emerging middle class with a lot of uh, renminbi or dollars, or however you want to look at it, to spend on 
hockey or something, but in this case, hockey, right? If I were the NHL, I would move heaven and earth to try and uh, play in China. Um, that said, um, yeah, I just had this discussion. I, t I teach at USC and we just had this discussion in class. I, you know, for a lot of people, I've had the great privilege of going to China maybe eight or 10 times over the last 20 years. Uh, the first time I saw what is now Olympic Park uh, in Beijing, there was literally nothing there. It was grass. It was grass. It might've been rice fields, but for sure it was grass. There was literally nothing there. And, and I've been back uh, you know, for the games in 2008 and again for the track and field championships in 2015 and now this and, and I've been to other like Shanghai for the swimming championships in 2011 and, and you know, other things. Nanjing for the youth games in 2014 and some other stuff. Uh, look, um, for, for a great many people in the West, China is the most foreign of foreign places. <laughs> How can it not be, right? Um, the, the language is different, the food is different, the culture is different, everything is so different. And, and um, for a great many people, different doesn't just mean different, different means either worse or better. And I, I'm afraid to say that for a, a lot of people in this context, different means worse. And uh, you layer on the political um, tensions between our country and theirs, and for sure, different has a tendency to mean worse. But the, the point of an Olympics is to move past that. But uh, some, for a lot of people, it's unavoidable. And um, then there are, and this is again unavoidable if we're being straight up with each other, you know, there are racial differences between a great many people in the United States and China. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, there was a sense of uncomfortable, uncomfortableness, if that's a word. And then the FBI came out with this warning about the burner phones and everything, which I thought was a bunch of BS. Uh, like uh, nobody's that interesting, to be honest with you. Uh, at least none of the reporters who were going and none of the hockey players. I mean, uh, you're being tracked over here also. If you've got Apple tags or you're on Facebook, uh, you've, got a Google, you've got a phone and you've got Google, and people know where you're, you, it's so easy to figure out where your location is. I mean, all of these things combined, I think, to give people a great sense of discomfort, if not paranoia. And so when the NHL bowed out, I was like, well, sort of figures. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one word. That's the longest one word answer <laughs> I've ever heard. Right. Um, it, it, yeah. It, you know, it's, it, it's definitely something, um, you know, we had Gary Bettman on this podcast. Um, we didn't talk a lot about the Olympics because what I was impressed with Gary's play on this was he let the players decide. He didn't force it because he knows that he wants the players to be on board with any international tournament that they can profit from. And, you know, we had this whole conversation not to go off too much of a tangent, but last week on the podcast, we talked about how the NHL canceled nearly a hundred games or rescheduled nearly a hundred games due to COVID uh, and the NBA canceled like four. And I was like, what's the difference? And they said that the profits are directly connected into the salary cap and they needed to be able to finish their season in completion. And they had that Olympic break. And I, I just thought the whole way the NHL played it was really, really fascinating from an outsider's point of view. Um, 
that being said, what was it's it's almost the same question. What was your reaction when the United States said they were not going to send a delegation? I'm glad that they didn't consider boycotting because of I feel for the athletes, uh, the athletes, you know, that have been training and training and training and training. They don't care about any political anything, no matter how awful it is. But the fact that the United States didn't go as a country, what was your reaction to that? Well, I've been pretty upfront about this, so I'll be more upfront here still. Uh, I thought it was a big fat zero. Um, I, I uh, it, you know, to our, clarify our country, for our listeners who don't follow you yet on Twitter, you're talking, you're saying it's a, it's a big mistake. Yeah, I thought it was a huge yeah. mistake. Um, and, and I think that the diplomatic boycott amounted to nothing. Uh, so let me explain. Uh, our country is the only one of 206 National Olympic Committees in the world that does not have a federal ministry of sport. So in, in every other country in the world, uh, the, the Olympics are run by some federal ministry. The, the United States Olympic Committee and the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, excuse me, is the only one uh, in the world that um, it has to be self-supporting. So, so that means that um, and Congress chartered it in 1978 and said, go fund yourself. Uh, uh, that F word is fund. Let me yeah. be clear about that. fund yourself, but it might as well be another F word to tell you the truth, uh -huh. uh, be because that that is the relationship between uh, uh, Congress, except when it wants to get involved and the USOPC. So um, it's only when the government you know, feels like being a busybody that it pays attention to the Olympic movement. And um, uh, the boycott of 1980 is uh, long and well-remembered in Olympic circles, uh, not fondly, uh, and uh, it achieved nothing. Uh, it was in response to the Soviet invasion of, Af of Afghanistan. And, um, you know, uh, I I'm not sure what points President, Boy President Biden was trying to score uh, by not sending anybody. Uh, it, it, in 2014, President Obama uh, also tried to score uh, some points by uh, sending, uh, well, he tried to send Billie Jean King to the opening, but her mother fell ill, uh, and some other people uh, to protest uh, the anti-gay laws in Sochi. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. that also accomplished nothing. So, um, look, uh, but are you saying it's you, you need them to go to support the athletes? Is it, yeah, I mean, the whole, yeah. the whole, if the government's going to get involved, the whole point is to be supportive of the team. That's it. You know, that's it. Yeah. Be there, support the team, and and otherwise, thanks. The interesting aspect of these games, um, you know, the fact that there's so much isolation and the athletes don't have their personal cheering sections, you know, family, friends, you know, spouses, whatever it is. Uh, they, they, they don't have those people there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of the Today Show, but when the Today Show is having these big reunions, you know, now that these guys are stateside and they're all showing up at Rockefeller Center on, on live TV, it just, it, 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 it's sad. It's not, it, it's not celebrated. Um, how much of a toll do you think it took on the athletes? Well, Seth, I can see why you have a good podcast. It's a great question. And let me try and answer it this way. <laughs> I think, I don't think it's as bad as you think it was for two reasons. Well, but that's what and I'm I'll, saying. I'm not there. So that's why I, I'm asking questions that I'm thinking 
what I would do if I was there. But you know what I'm saying? But I'm not there. So the Winter Olympics is sort of a weird deal because the teams are ne- the teams within the teams are necessarily smaller. Uh, there just aren't necessarily as many aerial skiers, you know, uh, per se. But they're all hanging together and they're all cheering for each other. So I think they got all the support they wanted. Let me let me take you to Tokyo and, and the swim team. So when Katie Ledecky, for instance, was swimming, even if she didn't have her mom and her dad there, she had the entire American team up in the stands cheering for her. And, and, and that was a real thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the, the American team is like a real thing at the games. And uh, I've talked with her and a bunch of the other swimmers, and, they, and they've said that was a real thing. So that was sort of the next best thing to have your family there. So let's compare. Uh, when Michael Phelps won his medals in Beijing in 2008, you, everyone might remember the famous picture of Michael going up into the stands and, and you know, uh, embracing his mom, Debbie. And, and you, you know, you might remember that. And the yeah, photographers that. crowding around and everything like that. That's one of the famous pictures in, in modern Olympic history, recent Olympic history. Okay, that, that, that's, you know, and, I mean, that's a great Olympic moment for sure. But one of the things about technology is when Caleb Dressel won his moment, we all got to watch as a country when he shared his joy and his tears with his wife and his mom and his dad. And, you know, that's kind of a interesting turn in sharing that moment as a country, which we could not have done with Michael because we didn't get to listen to the audio. Yeah, that's right. He didn't, he didn't hear the audio. Can I go on a quick tangent? Sure. You know, one of the neat things I heard when you were uh, coming on the podcast, uh, you one of your books is the autobiography of Michael Phelps. You co-wrote it with him. Um, I've always heard mixed things about him. What can you tell us about who Michael Phelps is, I've heard he's a great guy. I've heard he's not such a great guy. Tell me about Michael Phelps. Uh, Michael is just the way you see him. There is no pretense to Michael Phelps whatsoever. Uh, sorry for the background noise here. Um, I don't know what it is. Uh, my, Michael is exactly, he, he is, uh, there's, there's no artifice to Michael at all. He is exactly exactly what you see uh he uh is probably no uh, definitively one of the world's most competitive people and uh, that's where you have to start with michael he's a hundred percent one of the world's most competitive people he's also one of the world's most ferociously loyal people. He is exceptionally loyal to his family and his friends. And he's also, uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, you could say with approval in the 1950s, but gets lost in 2021 or 2022. But I think I can say this uh, without being weird. Michael is one of the most out there, uh, proud Americans you would ever want to meet. Uh, I like hanging out with Michael Phelps. He and his, uh, I'll tell you this, the other thing is his wife, Nicole, 
has been so great for him and he's a great dad. Uh, the three little boys are wonderful little boys and uh, he and Nicole and uh, Bob, uh, his coach, uh, who's the sort of a grandpa to the three little boys have a good thing going in Arizona. Hmm. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Um, the Olympics now transition. Um, they transition to three amazing locations, uh, Paris yep. in 2024 for the summer games, uh, Italy for the winter games in 2026, and then Los Angeles uh, in 2028. Given the toxic disaster that our country is in uh, <laughs> at all times, which I, I, I don't know where the light at the end of the tunnel is, um, or where the light is at the end of the tunnel is, the idea that those Olympics, because of the locations and the time zones, they will be home runs. Um, home runs, not just for NBC, but you'll start to see the fervor. Um, you've been at 11 Olympics. I've been in America for 11 Olympics. I know when the Olympics are a big deal and when they're not, they haven't been the big, a big deal since Rio. Do you see that just rekindling? Do you see, or do you think maybe the bubble has burst on the Olympic games? Uh, slight correction, 12 and, um, what do I think? I think Paris is going to be bio a huge. Said, said eleven. You have to update it. You didn't update it. Well, with, you know, uh, Beijing. Got, well, Beijing is twelve. Um, <laughs> sorry, I haven't updated it yet. I, you know, um, what do I think? I think Paris is likely to be a huge hit. Um, the opening ceremony is not going to be in a stadium. It's going to be along the River Seine, so that's oh, going to wow. be funky and cool. Yeah, Milano is going to be a cluster. Uh, you can fill in the second word, but um, it's going to be Italian. There'll be a lot of joie de vivre when people figure out that the skiing events are going to be hundreds of kilometers away from each other. Some of them are going to be in, in, in Bormio. Some of them are going to be uh, at uh, Cortina the di Alpezzo. Uh, but the food will be great. The wine will be great. Uh, assuming the pandemic will be behind us. It'll be fun. It'll be, you know, a, a complete Italian logistical disaster, but it'll be fun. Uh, and Los Angeles will um, transform the Olympic Games again for the third time, just as it did in 1932 and just as it did in 1984. Casey Wasserman is um, brilliant. I always hate to do this kind of thing because I run the risk of losing my journalistic uh, skeptics card, but I've known Casey for a very long time. And um, uh, I'm on record as saying the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, who's going to be the ambassador to India here any day, uh, Eric Garcetti, is on record as saying the games in Los Angeles in 2028 will net net a surplus, because that's the word here. It's a nonprofit, so not pro the word is not profit, but surplus. It will net a surplus of $1 billion, billion or more, wow. and people will clamor for the Olympic Games all over the world again. Wow. Uh, it's, it, I, I, I wanted to end on that note. I really want, I want to love the Olympics again, and it's been hard. You know, the, these last couple have been mishmashes, and, 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 and it's been no secret. Uh, that, that they have been just that. Uh, you, sir, have uh, accomplished uh, a lot in not only just creating your website, but also the books that you have written. Um, when did you see that the Olympics were going to be something that you wanted to be connected to? You know, everybody finds their niche. When you go to journalism school, they don't say, hey, you look like a basketball writer. 
<laughs> you know, that the, when did you find out that this was something that you wanted to touch on and be a part of and cover? Because it's not just you don't just cover it every four years, the build up, the, the reaction, all the trials, everything. You cover all of it. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, when I was 14 years old, uh, uh, so sorry, this dates me, but uh, I watched the 1972 Munich Olympics on TV uh, from, a, from a, where I was growing up uh, in the cornfields of uh, near, not even in near Dayton, Ohio, and um, uh, we're Jewish, uh, and what happened to the Israelis completely affected me uh, at those games. And then uh, the American men lost in basketball. Uh, basketball in Dayton, Ohio with the Flyers is a very big deal. Mm. Uh, to this day, the, the American men have still uh, never uh, accepted their silver medals. Uh, uh, so that was, was huge. But um, uh, the, the other thing that happened at those games, uh, besides Mark Spitz winning his medals, uh, was that um, uh, at my high school, uh, like a lot of American public high schools, the boys on the football team uh, get to wear their jerseys to school on Friday. Uh, it's, you know, it's sort of a mark of social status. Uh, I am was the scrawny little Jewish boy, and that was never going to be me. Uh, and um, uh, the, the Olympic marathon is always the last day of the games. Uh, and Frank Shorter of the United States won the Olympic marathon. And um, uh, Frank Shorter uh, radicalized my life. He, he showed me uh, that you could be somebody uh, by not playing football. And by the way, I love football and I covered the NFL for two years, but Fr Frank Shorter showed me that you could be someone. Uh, and, uh, literally the instant that Frank Shorter won the Olympics, I was like, I'm going to be part of this. Wow. Uh, I, it's so cool to have that kind of a calling and, and, uh, as someone who has, you know, I always regretted the Sydney Olympics. I, it has been one of my career regrets is not going to the Sydney Olympics. And it's always been something that I've considered um, to hear you say that it just, it, it really does bring the, the pageantry and the, the personalization, you know, the fact that the, the Israeli athletes and, 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 and your Jewish perspective, I, I think adds a, a lot as somebody who also happens to be Jewish. Um, because let's be honest, who did, how did we meet? We met through Lee Frank, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the king of Jewish geography. Um, yes, well, so here's my advice to you. Start uh, boating up on your French because uh, we have 880 or so days until Paris. It's going to be a... Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Paris is Paris. And uh, when you go, I can say to you, Seth, we always had Paris. <laughs> If you folks listen to episode 138 of the podcast, uh, we interviewed Sir Richard Branson uh, from Paris, France, it, when we covered my first Formula E race. Uh, it was in Paris, France. We had uh, Richard Branson on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I would love to go back to, 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 to there. That would be incredible. Uh, we, we also had Jean Todd, who was the president of the FIA and, and all those guys. Episode 138 of uh, Sports with Friends. Um, how do you feel about social media? I think that's kind of a loaded question these days. Um, and how can people find you online? People are hearing the podcast that don't know about the books and don't know about everything else. Uh, thanks. How do I feel about social media when I'm not getting yelled at on Twitter? Uh, how do I feel about social media? Does that happen media? a lot? Does that ha it, 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 it does happen a lot. Uh, one, of, one of my great mentors in life is uh, Peter Uberoth, who's taught me a great deal. And uh, the name of his... 
company right now is the contrarian group. So I, I don't mind being contrary. Uh, my um, my Twitter handle is at Alan Abrahamston. My uh, website is uh, Three Wire Sports, the number Three Wire Sports. Um, the story there is my brothers were fighter pilots in the Navy. Uh, for those of you who remember Top Gun, when you land a fighter jet on a carrier deck, there are four wires uh, stretched from uh, bow to stern. The third wire from the from the front of the boat, uh, from the bow, is the perfect catch. My brothers have a three-wired investment company, and they graciously allow me to have a three-wire sports. So uh, that's that's how you find me. Very nice, very nice, very nice. Well, Alan, thank you so much uh, for doing this, taking some time. Let's make a deal. Uh, as we lead into Paris. Why don't we check in on the podcast? I know that's years from now, but I'd love to keep in touch. We, I, I'm thrilled that we got to uh, connect uh, through Lee, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on Sports with Friends. Yeah, I will uh, lay a little French on you. Il sera fantastique. That means it'll be great, and uh, I'll look forward to it, okay? Merci, merci. Uh, okay, Alan Abramson bye. right here on Sports with Friends. Thanks to you folks. Merci to you folks uh, for uh, listening to the podcast and uh, make sure you follow uh, Alan on social media. We'll put all the links in the show show notes to Three Wire Sports and everything else. Uh, We have a new episode that comes out every Wednesday. I can't tell you what's coming up next because that'll ruin the surprise. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to to stay here I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile come on please I'm gone forget reaching me by phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while when you see me again I hope that you have been the kind of person Take